Okay, everyone, welcome to another great bonus episode of the Great Heavy Music Podcast. Today with us, we have one of the founding members and partial brainchild of the excellent power metal band from Arizona, Judicator. We got Tony Cordisco with us today. And of course, always, we got the lovely Phil Collins. Phil, say hello to the folks at home. Hey, guys, how you doing? And now everybody wants to hear more from Tony and less from you. So, Tony, say hello. Morning, everybody. All right, it's time to dive right into it. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on your guys' success, and you got a new album out, and we're excited about that for you guys. But I think we're having you on today because we want to take a deep dive into one of the albums that I love and picked for Phil to review called At the Expense of Humanity. So we're going to do as we usually and dive through each track of the album a little bit later in the interview. But first, we have some kind of general stuff that we want to go through, so our interviewers our interviewee gets to express himself uh, or herself to our fans. So tell us generally about your metal story, how you got into metal and what got you started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been a musician for about 16 years now. I started playing guitar in eighth grade and uh, I actually got into heavy metal through partially through video gaming and partially through my brother um, so I was really into playing like PC Star Wars games uh, when I was in middle school, you know, like Knights of the Old Republic, X-Wing, TIE Fighter, all that stuff. Um, and I was really into like the modding communities where you would like go in and put crazy stuff in it. You know, you put like Link into Jedi Knight or something like that. Um, and those modding communities, you know, I was on them all the time, always talking to people and, you know, other stuff comes up and uh, somebody posted a link to Dragon Force, but they were called Dragon Heart back then. Mm. Uh, it was when they first started, and it was their first demo, uh, the Valley of the Dam demo. And I had not really listened to a whole lot of music up to that point, just what you know was in my parents' house, like old classic rock, old country. And uh, I heard this, and it was just like completely, completely over the top. I mean, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Dragon oh, Force. Yeah. They were just, just as ridiculous back then. Um, and I just like my young brain didn't know what to think of all these notes flying through the speaker. And, uh, so I was immediately just like captivated by like, oh my God, what is this sound? I must know more. Um, so I started talking to the person that posted it and he showed me like Symphony X and Dream Theater, um, Iced Earth, oh, yeah. uh, Demons and Wizards, Blind Guardian, all that stuff. Um, and then even like some more extreme metal stuff like Opeth. And uh, I just, like, dived down the rabbit hole. And then my brother, um, my older brother, he's a big metalhead as well. His, you know, he grew up listening to Metallica, um, all that old kind of 80s stuff. And uh, he, you know, started showing me stuff as well, and he played guitar. So when I started playing guitar, he, you know, me and him hung out a lot, and we're always going to shows and learning songs together. So from there, it was just a downward spiral, and 16 years later, there's no stopping. Nice, man. Well, I read on your website that you and your co-founding bandmate met at a Blind Guardian show. Is that right? That's correct, yes. So so walk us through um, that. You guys are wearing your uh, Hansi Kirst t-shirts with his face on the front, and you <laughs> yeah. see each other, and you're both pressed against the front rail. I mean, how did that go down? Uh, very similar. And actually, speaking of Hansi's face, I'll, I'll circle back to that in just a minute because it's important. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, it was the 2010 tour, the, um, at the edge of time tour. And, uh, I hadn't been able to see blind guardian yet because when they came through the time before it was on the twist in the myth tour, 
and I was in high school and I, I just wasn't able to go to the show because it was in Phoenix and I live in Tucson. Um, so it was the first time I was able to go see Blind Guardian and uh, one of my buddies drove me up to the concert and fortunately my friends in Seven Kingdoms were opening the show. So they were on that tour as the opening band. Seven Kingdoms is great, man. I was actually, I saw them, it's funny you say that, I saw them on that tour in St. Petersburg, Florida. Oh, hey, I was at that show. No kidding. Wow, what a small world, yeah. man. That is so cool. That's <laughs> where I first heard Seven Kingdoms, and I was like, oh, wow, these guys are amazing. I was so impressed. I was blown away. And subsequently, I've seen them two or three more times, and I saw them on the 70,000 Tons of Metal. So Seven Kingdoms is excellent. Oh, right on. Very cool. Yeah, I've been uh, friends with those guys for a long time. I went to the St. Petersburg show. Um, State Theater, brother. Because I, yeah, I was visiting friends out there and, and family, and then of course, I wanted to see Blind Guardian as many times as I could. And theoc- I got into Theocracy that night as well. That was the first time I'd ever heard them. Um, so really great uh, festival that Camden had put together there. So it was cool to see multiple stops on the show. But uh, in the Arizona show, so that's where I met John, our singer. And he's not from Arizona. He's from Salt Lake City. And um, that tour didn't go to Salt Lake City. So he wanted to go to the nearest show he possibly could, which for him at the time was Phoenix. Um, so I got to the show super early because we were going backstage to hang out with Seven Kingdoms and see ch- Soundcheck and all that. And uh, it's, you know, it's 2 o'clock on a Phoenix afternoon, and nobody gets to a show that early unless it's like Iron Maiden or something. And there's just this kid sitting out in front of the venue, and uh, he's just sitting there by himself. And I'm like, nobody's going to show up here for like three or four hours. So I literally just walk up to him, and I'm like, is there a reason you're here so early? And he's like, oh, well, uh, you know, we drove down from Salt Lake City this morning, and, uh, you know, my, my dad went to go hang around the city, and I, I just don't have anything to do. And I was like, all right, dude, well, I, I don't think you want to sit here for three or four hours. Like, you're going to be pretty tired and worn out. Like, maybe you should just pretend like you're our friend and hang out with us for the day. And he's like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. What are you guys going to do? I'm like, well, we're going to go backstage and watch Blind Guardian Soundcheck. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I definitely want to do that. And uh, so we went and, and hung out backstage, and uh, we got to d- see them do their sound check, hang out with Seven Kingdoms, talk to them about how the tour was going. It was really cool, really fun. Um, and then so we're waiting for the actual show to start, and John just gets to talking, and he's like, oh, yeah, um, I'm, in a, I'm in a prog power band in in Utah, it's called Dysphoria. And I was like, oh, cool, I play in, like, a, a death thrash band in Tucson. It's called Sedulity. He's like, oh, that's cool. We should, like, swap demos and, and you know, keep in touch. And I was like, awesome, cool. So I take his demo, and we're actually going back from the show later that night, and uh, I didn't really know what to expect because I've been handed a lot of demos in my life, and there's a varying degree of quality when somebody just hands <laughs> something to you. Um, I've handed out some pretty bad ones myself. <laughs> And uh, I was just blown away by the dude's voice. Um, you know, even he was pretty young still at that point um, and hadn't had as much experience. And I was just floored by his vocal ability and the songwriting of the band, just really impressed overall. Um, so when uh, when we you know got to talking uh, a year or two down the line, we were basically like, dude, we should just start uh, a little recording project just like that kind of music um and see you know see if anybody will listen to it so we didn't put a whole lot of thought into our first album it was written and recorded in like three weeks in my bedroom basically and uh just to see what would happen and um you know we put it on Bandcamp, and all of a sudden hundreds of people started downloading it and we're like that's weird i've never had that many people listen to my music in my life um so we were like maybe we should actually you know like put some put some effort into this right 
Um, so we started, you know, rolling things down the hill and putting putting a little more effort into it. Uh, and basically, the band appeared out of thin air from that point. And awesome. and as I as I read, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys started just the two of you, right? And then you mm-hmm. subsequently added a full band for this album that we're going to go through today. That was the first time you guys were a full band. Correct. Yes. So um, we did the first album really haphazardly, um, and it, it it shows. But with our second album, it was still just the two of us. But we brought a lot of our friends in to do like vocal parts and keyboards and. And stuff like that. We put a lot more effort into our second album, Sleepy Plessow. And uh, at that point, we had been working on the music for At the Expense of Humanity. Um, and like, we recorded the first demo of it, um, which you can download on our Bandcamp. It's a bonus track to King of Rome. Um, and it, the music we were really proud of, but like the production was not very good because um, we had added. Uh, a drummer at the time. He was a, somebody I knew from Tucson. He wasn't in the band for very long. Um, and it just didn't sound very good. And we were like, dude, we got to do this better if if we're going to do an album like this. Um, so my buddy Jeff from the band Mind Maze, he was talking to me about crowdfunding. And he's like, I don't know, dude. I think you got enough interest. You could probably crowdfund this album, you know, and get yourself some support. Because um, I had just, you know, we had just graduated college, so I didn't have a whole lot of money or capability at the time and we we're like okay well maybe maybe there's enough interest based on our second album to do it and so we launched a crowdfunding campaign and fortunately you know the people that were interested in us at the time pulled through and we were able to get a full production budget for it and do it properly um so we definitely wanted to bring in like a full band we're like that was the deciding point we're like okay we're doing this for real this is a real band now like we're gonna put all our eggs in the basket um, so I pulled along my buddy Jordan Elsis, who I've been playing music with since we were 15. Um, we've been in like 1,600 bands together, and <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> that's probably not an exaggeration. I feel like every week we started <laughs> a new band when we were in high school. Um, pulled. You, you run out of names. You just you have so many bands with yeah. not enough words right. to describe yeah, them. We're like just going through the dictionary, you know, like putting variations <laughs> on the word. Like, oh, we called our band uh, Tormentor. Now this will be Tormentee or something. Right, right. You put an accent mark over the E and it's different. Exactly. So I pulled him in because we hadn't played music in a couple of years, but we've always played together. And I was like, dude, this is is what we were supposed to be doing. Like, I accidentally started a band with my singer friend from Utah. So, you know, I want you to be a part of it. And he kind of came in at the 11th hour of that album. um, And it all just formed together from there and uh we've been doing it to the best of our ability ever since that's that's an awesome story man uh, now in the event that somebody is listening to this it's going through high school or just finishing high school or trying to get into a band and they're you know don't know much about the industry what is a production budget to record an album is it twenty thousand bucks fifty thousand bucks ten thousand bucks where does it kind of fall on that spectrum of things i think the thing that i would say is um it depends on what you want to do and how much you're willing to learn how to do yourself and um, how smart you are about researching because there's a lot of people that will prey, prey on your ignorance basically, pull the wool over your eyes and charge you a lot more for what, what you're doing when somebody down the street um, can do it for a reasonable amount. Um, we made At the Expense of Humanity for around $3,000, I want to say. No kidding. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, now, granted, we did cut some corners and we did some things ourselves and we probably could have done better in some respects. Like we didn't use a recording studio, for instance. 
Um, so, for instance, I would never pay studio time to record guitars because you can buy a direct input box for your computer for like 70 bucks and do direct line in and just have your producer that you're already paying a ton of money to make the album just reamp them rather than paying additional studio time to record guitars so like i've never paid studio time to record guitars since 2009 because i just have the the mixing engineer reamp the guitars and you can even reamp the guitars yourself if you want to go uh that far so it's like invest the money now in something um that you can learn how to do and then that pays dividends later like if i can learn how to record guitars myself now i make that investment one time and now i can do it infinite number of times rather than okay each time i record an album i've got to pay eight hundred dollars to record in a studio for 10 hours um now where we cut corners was recording the drums <laughs> and we didn't do a super great job of it so uh, our producer carlos alvarez who did the the mixing and editing on the album he uh, really helped us in in kind of going the extra mile and fixing the audio quality of those so um we've learned since then that that's probably something we can't do on our own um but still we had that constraint we wouldn't have been able to pay the one to two thousand dollars for studio time so we made it work you know within that that variable so i'd say just uh you know learn what you can do on your own and then really research before you pay somebody money like vet their their clients talk to people that have worked with them look at their rates compared to other people's rates you'd be surprised how many people who you might think are unattainable are actually really affordable like dan swano is one of the most famous producers in the world and he'll master your album for like five hundred dollars you know, you would ex- edge of sanity. Love that fucking yeah, guy. He's he's one of my favorites. Absolutely. And like you can go work with him casually for what is realistically not a lot of money. I already love that guy. Now I definitely love that guy. What a what a cool aspect of Dan. I didn't know he did mm-hmm. that. Yep. I've got a couple friends that have worked with him. I, I would like to at some point, um, you know, when the when the time and the music is right. But I've, I've got a few friends that have done projects with him and it's it's amazing what he does for people. So let's let's seg that then into into the kind of future for Judicator because you guys released a new album, and uh, you know we're not going through it entirely today because we want to focus it on the at the expense of humanity album. But I still want you to promote that mm. and tell our listeners about it and how you recorded it. And I'm sure you guys are passionate and love it. I think it's really good. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so our newest album is uh, called The Last Emperor. It's a historical concept album about the First Crusades, and uh, that one's kind of going to be a unique entry in our catalog, I think, because um, we did At the Expense of Humanity, and it's a very proggy, moody record. And um, I still think At the Expense of Humanity is our best record. And I would say that that album is what our true sound we were trying to find is, whereas The Last Emperor is more of like a straightforward power metal album. So our next album that we're working on right now is more in line with At the Expense of Humanity. And The Last Emperor is unique because um, At the Expense of Humanity was like a big emotional release for a lot of reasons. Um, For John, because of the subject matter dealing with his brother's death. Um, For us and all the effort we put into the album, um, kind of the compositional aspects of it you know there was a lot of energy put into it and the last emperor we just wanted to do something that was straightforward and fun um and kind of was in the spirit of what our first album was but done well instead (laughs) like not recorded 
cheaply. So basically we wanted to kind of go back to the start a little bit and prove that we could do what we were trying to do at the outset. So we made a really straightforward um, power metal album. You know, it's, it's all fast songs. It's all like really bright, speedy, energetic power metal. The vocal layering is ridiculous. It's all over the place. Um, it's shorter in length. You know, there's no interludes, etc. Um, it's very kind of just straight for, for the throat for 48 minutes. Um, and we really just wanted to have it be a fun album that would really translate well live. Um, and then that would kind of be like, okay, that is our really standard power metal album. If you want to hear us play speedy German power metal, that's the album you listen to. Um, now we're going to kind of go back to what we were what we were getting at um, with At the Expense of Humanity with more things that are a little more compositionally interesting, a little more rhythmically dynamic, a little more showing our influences from outside just um, the German power metal sound. Um, Content-wise, how do you guys decide what you're going to write about? Um, what made you decide to write about the Crusades? So John handles uh, all the lyrical content, and he kind of runs things by me just to kind of gauge my interest. It's not like he's looking for approval or anything. It's just sort of like if I'm excited about it, it makes him more excited about it. So we, we've always decided that we would do concept albums, um, and we won't, I mean, unless something really changes, break away from that. Um, not necessarily having to be historical concepts, although that's majority of what we've done, and that's what our next album is going to be. But we decided we really like the concept album approach um, because you can really focus on an overall story, and a lot of our favorite albums are concept albums. And so he has a huge interest in history, and so do I. I was actually a certified history teacher for a while. Oh, nice. I never taught it. I, w I was teaching English, but I was certified in English and history. Um, so educationally, like that's a, a big interest to me as well. And um, so based on whatever he's reading at the time, he'll usually go down a rabbit hole and get interested in a subject, and then we'll start talking about it and geeking out about it. Or he'll be reading some history book about a topic or watching a movie. So like with King of Rome, for instance, he was watching the movie Waterloo, and that album is basically... Uh, an adaptation of that movie, essentially. Nice. Um, and with Sleepy Plessow, he was reading a lot about Prussian history, and there's some of that in there, but then he got particularly focused on Frederick the Great. And with the Crusades, um, he's been really interested in that period of history, like Fall of the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, um, a lot of things that were going on with like the splits in the church at the time. And uh, it is a kind of more volatile history subject, which kind of makes it more interesting to talk about um, because you have to be more careful. It's not like everybody kind of does World War II. You know, that's the typical yeah, sure, like, right. go-to for, for history. Um, it's kind of safer. So we like to go to either stuff that's a little more obscure or stuff that you have to be a little more nuanced about because it's just more intellectually interesting, I guess, for us to dive into and learn about and figure out how we're going to portray them. So... We'll talk a lot about that. I mean, we'll we'll be on uh, Voxer talking for hours about just rabbit holes of history and little anecdotes that happen, and then um, he'll just kind of bounce ideas off of me as we go, and then when we finally decide what we're going to go off of, I send him the music of the album, and then based on like the tonality of it and the feelings he's getting from it, he'll kind of land on the exact subject that he wants to get on. So for The Last Emperor, for instance, it's a very like anthemic 
kind of victorious sounding uh, album. So he wanted to do something that was a little more, uh, I guess you could say, like when you think of the Crusades and the attitudes of Crusaders, like they're very much were a type of people that like kind of glorified war and were very invested in it versus like Sleepy Plessow was a little more somber and heartbreaking because that was about a people suffering, a nation suffering. And there's a lot of that in the Crusades, obviously. But he was looking into the minds of the Crusaders in a lot of ways. And so that, that album kind of, to him, spoke more in that direction for the types of characters he was looking at. Nice, man. So, Good. T- Tony, you've had this somewhat, I think, unusual experience in your band in the sense that you fell into this grouping or this kind of match with John and then you guys came to a full band and it was only that it continued to grow because you had this support on your band camp page where people were really interested in what you're doing. Give us, before we dive into At the Expense of Humanity, give us kind of the trajectory of the of your, of your band. Has it still become increasingly more popular with each album? Have you been invited to do tours and shows? And if so, you know how, how has that been with the full band? Give us a little bit of that insight to hopefully inspire some of the younger listeners who think, hey, this is doable. Yeah, absolutely. So with, with every album, we've subsequently gotten more attention, more sales, more... Uh, opportunities from like labels and distribution, more show opportunities, um, more reviews and press and things like that. And uh, we've actually gotten um, some pretty good support from different platforms like Bandcamp has been in touch with us personally a few times uh, about different opportunities. And uh, it's just been really cool to see like if you are your authentic self and you do what you want to do and you stick to your guns, um, but you do it seriously with with thought and with calculation. Like people pick up on that and they know like, okay, you're not just messing around. Like if I'm gonna work with you, I can trust that you're going to do good work for me in return. And uh, so every album has picked up a little bit more momentum. And the last emperor in particular, um, just exponentially. So we saw like we thought at the expense of humanity was a big jump for us. But The Last Emperor really brought a lot of attention our way as far as like um, press contacts, label contacts, record sales, etc. And we actually, I can't say who yet uh, until the album is announced, but we did sign a three album deal with um, a much bigger record label than we've worked with previously. So that will probably get Congratulations, man. That's wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate that. That uh, those details will come out probably end of the year. We have to finish the album first right. <laughs> and yeah. make sure that we can actually uh, do what they're asking us to do. Um, but it will, you know, open up a lot of new doors for us. And basically, the thing that was really cool about how that came to be was just that they they liked what we were doing and they said we just want to help you do that. Like you guys clearly have your identity figured out. We just want to help you do it better. And um, I think that's really the key is just being true to who you are and being artistically honest. Like, don't try to, you know, if you think that being successful in power metal means being Sabaton, don't try to be Sabaton. Sabaton is already Sabaton. They don't need you to do that. You know, we clearly love Blind Guardian, right? We, We have a lot of influence from them, but we never sat down and said, let's do what they're doing. You know what I mean? They influence us heavily, and that's where we live and breathe as far as the things that we love to do, but there's more to it than that. It would be dishonest to just be like, let's just be Blind Guardian 2.0. Like, 
people see through that, I think, and people don't don't like that. People like it when you know you have respect for the things that brought you where you are, but you're also willing to do what you need to do to be yourself. And I think that's the energy that that we bring that people attach onto. Um, I think you can tell when you listen to us. Like one, we we love our influences, but two, we also know what we want to do um, and we're excited about it. And I've I've always felt that that like kind of like fandom being tied to your creativity um, is the thing that I look for in other artists. And I think that that's really what helps us connect with other people and keep those opportunities going. And then as far as um, shows and things like that go, we don't play alive a whole lot um, just because of the logistics of the band. But uh, we recently went up to Canada for Hyperspace Metal Festival. They invited us out. It was a great time. First time we played out of the country. And we're doing Mad With Power in Madison in August with a whole bunch of other U.S. power metal bands, Lords of the Trident, Theocracy, Helium Prime, Nova Rain. Um, and that opportunity, I think, will be really cool because it's a whole lot of people who are involved in U.S. power metal right now kind of coming together for a big for a big shindig. <laughs> Sweet, man. That's awesome. We interviewed uh, Unleash the Archers' Brittany Slays earlier in the year, and she was amazing and, and outstanding. And, of course, that band is, is epic in its own right in the power metal scene. Have you ever had a chance to play with those guys on the same stage? Uh, no, but they were at Hyperspace Metal Festival, which was pretty cool. So uh, they were. We, I got to talk to them after our set and uh, hang out with them for a little bit, and it was really cool because they're my favorite North American power metal band right now by far. Oh, awesome, man. Um, yeah, Apex is like – that's like a top 20 album. It's strong. Actually, so strong. I listened – I listened to the the episode you guys did with uh, with her, and I thought it was really cool because um, I could relate to a lot of what she was saying, and it was just neat to see like somebody who's a few steps above us and doing things on a much bigger level, and just being like, "Wow, okay, I can I can understand like that attitude." Yeah, that must be kind of approach. yeah interesting. It was a uh, it was a super cool interview, so I appreciated that you well, guys did that. Thanks for listening to it. Yeah, they uh, they just blew me away on Apex. I liked the previous albums, um, but when they did that album, I was just like, okay, this is next yeah. level. These are the guys to watch. Apex was a and jump. then I saw them live, and I was completely floored. Completely floored. Man, that's so cool. Game, game changer. Yeah, that album was a total game changer. So you mentioned it a couple times, and I think this is a really good seg into reviewing At the Expense of Humanity. You talked about the authenticity and being honest with yourselves as kind of bandmates. And John is not here to speak about it, so I'm sure you are somewhat reserved in what you're going to say in terms of the subject matter. But his, as you mentioned or alluded to earlier, his, his brother had passed away, and that went to the lyrical content of this album, which is so weighty but so honest and disclosed. And I you know, really valued that out of this record, and I'm glad you know, that we can talk about that. So how did that come to be? I mean, how did it, how did he approach you? Did you approach him? Were you and he friends when his brother passed away? Were you involved in that? I mean, tell us kind of just the general background and then we'll go track by track through the, the music of the album. Absolutely. So, uh, when it came to the lyrical subject, uh, actually his brother had passed away sometime before, uh, the album, actually before I had met him, I believe he was like 17, 18 years old when it happened. Um, so that was a couple years before I met him. And uh, the way he described it to me when he first approached me about the album, because actually when we were first uh, showing him the music to the album, he had this like weird sci-fi concept that he wanted to do. It was just like an original story. 
Um, and we had talked about history subjects. Like at one point we were thrown around doing like an album about uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, and none of that really panned out. And he just told me, um, hey, I'm working on something kind of different. Um, it might be weird at first, but, you know, uh, you know, just keep an open mind. And when I when I have something, I will show it to you. And uh, when he came back to me with it, the way he described it is just like he, you know, he walked me through what had happened with his brother. And I, I hadn't known that about him at that point. I didn't even know he had uh, an older brother because he never really talked about it. And that was actually significant in how it happened because he said, like, you know, this horrible thing happened to me, you know, almost six, seven years ago, whatever it was at that point. Um, and I hadn't really dealt with it. I hadn't really thought about it. I hadn't really talked about it. You know, I kept it to myself. You know, there was a lot of stuff that happened in my family and we didn't really talk about it. Um, and then I was just going through the album and I started writing lyrics and it all just came out of me is what he said. Like basically the album just the, the you know the creative spark was there and it was like his way of finally getting to talk about it out in the open because um, like even us as good friends hadn't hadn't discussed that um, and we're pretty we're pretty open with each other and like he still didn't didn't want to um, have to relive that trauma so it became a, a way for him to finally express that and put that out in the open and after that he told me he felt much more comfortable talking about the subject like he's done other other things since then where he's talked to people about it um where he's he's done some film things that center around the subject of cancer that he's used as influence for that um he's spoken publicly on interviews um on his facebook etc about it so he's been able to be much more open about it um and i think the thing that's been really cool if if you want to call it that or a silver lining in the face of uh tragedy is when people share stories with us about things that they experienced so you know a, a fan or a friend might talk to him and say like hey you know this album really resonated with me because of you know x situation that i was going through um and just being able to have that kind of visceral conversation with with somebody that's you know listening to your music as opposed to like your normal like hey dude like sick riffs yeah. <laughs> uh like i think that's been really good for him and he's expressed to me a, a couple of times that like that experience has been like really one shocking and then two like rewarding for him um and helped him work through it and he was kind of like stepping in that when he was writing it and and figuring out that like that's the path he was on um and that's why he chose to do it um, and he basically asked me, he's like, okay, you know, we're here at the end. I'm about ready to record. Like, do you feel okay about this? And I'm like, dude, if this is what, what works for you and you feel good about it and you're okay, like, remember, you're putting this out in the ether. People are going to hear this and they're going to ask you about it. Um, as long as you're good with that, like, I think, you know, that's what you should do. And he was, he was like, yeah, I think, I think this is the right call. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think I would have done it under any other circumstance, but um, it just feels like the right time. So. That was kind of a, a meeting of the meeting of the minds, the the melting point that um, made that album sort of come to fruition um, the way it did. It's super cool of him to do that, and and the honesty that came along with it, especially in the lyrical content. So, I want to play a little snippet or just play underneath of us talking now the tracks as we usually do, and kind of have you walk us through 
whatever you think is interesting or important or insightful for our listeners to know and what you would want them to know. Almost like uh, when you watch a movie and you have the director's cut and they're telling you what the scene was like in, the, in these issues. So we'll, we'll put on first here a picture of Fading Light, which is the instrumental introduction. And as I pull this up, just tell us kind of what we need to know about Sounds it. Sounds good. Go ahead, Tony. So uh, this song is interesting just talking about um, recording constraints. Uh, I didn't have time to finish recording all the acoustics for the album, and this keyboard part is actually supposed to be an acoustic guitar, and you'll hear this keyboard patch throughout the album. Every time you hear that, that was written for acoustic guitar. Oh, wow. But because I, did, because I didn't finish it, we went in at the end and, and put them all on on keyboards and it actually ended up being kind of cool because we used a kind of like a Stephen Wilson porcupine tree patch there yeah and uh, added kind of a different element to the album it works so. it's, it's like a very <laughs> eerie you know yeah sometimes messing something up leads to something better. exactly right so nice and did you record this at home Yes, so um, all the guitars, it's just me plugged into my computer with a little DI box, the same thing that I'm recording this mic through right now, uh, just direct line in, and then Carlos, our uh, producer, reamped everything. Super cool. Okay, well, let's get to the, the next song, and I guess you call it the first full song mm -hmm. with lyrical content called God's Failures. Yeah, this one is interesting from a lyrical standpoint, and I uh, I asked John about this recently because um, he is actually, you'll notice uh, the lyrical content of this album is like strongly atheistic. Uh, there's a lot of like questions of religion and questions about God and how mortality plays into all that. Um, and he's actually, he is a, a practicing Orthodox Christian. Um, and at the time, of doing this he wasn't um, so he's been through a little bit of a journey there and uh, I asked him about it and I was like you know do you feel uncomfortable like having written songs that maybe don't necessarily align with you know how you feel today and it was cool because he told me he's like no like I think that if it weren't for that I wouldn't be where I'm at so like I'm really proud of the message I put there because like that was my my trial my test um, and I wouldn't be who I am without it. So, like, I want people to be able to experience and see that part of me. Right. You know, I, I think it would be totally naive to think that this is not an experience that a lot of either current believers or former believers had to go through this period of disbelief or shaken belief or what have you. That's a very human understanding mm -hmm. and human experience. So, yeah. uh, you know, for, from what it's worth... From an outsider, I think it's apropos for the human experience. Yeah, I agree completely. And I, I love that he has that perspective on it and is willing to like tackle subjects that might be difficult for people in his life to deal with. But, um, you know, it's honest to what he feels and does. Yeah, and uh, when he started saying about, you know, a cancer patient, I was, I was sort of taking it back because uh, it is very honest, but it's it's refreshing. You know, it's... It's uh, you can tell it must have been very therapeutic or whatever process he was going through. Uh, you know, you could really tell he put his heart into this. So I was, mm -hmm. I was really interested in the lyrical content. It's, it does, there's no holds barred. You know, it's, it's just, you know, honest to God. You know how he feels. 
Absolutely. Yeah, so. and, and coming up now is track three, Cannibalistic Mind. Tell us, you know, you write this musical content. You write it from scratch, or do you have an idea, or how? Where does this come from? Like specific to this song. So this one is uh, interesting because this song is actually really old. Um, me and Jordan wrote this song together in a band that I don't think we ever played a show. I don't think we ever um, recorded anything, but we were probably like 18, 19 when we wrote it. Um, and he actually wrote a couple of the guitar riffs in it, so he's got a songwriting credit on that one as well. And um, it started as like we were trying to play like a more spacey kind of proggy band, like it was going to be like all clean vocals, and we'd only done like death and thrash metal up to that point. Um, we were listening to a lot of Cynic at the time, a lot of Opeth, uh, a lot of Porcupine Tree. And uh, when it came to this album, I brought that song forward because it just seemed to fit exactly with what we were doing. Um, and I was like, hey, dude, you remember that, that song that we did like way back when? And I started like dinking around on the guitar with it. And I was like, we should really bring this one back. And uh, I changed some of it to make it more power metal, like the... The verse riff, for instance, it's just like this straight eighth note chugging, and before it was like in a weird time signature, all 16th notes, but it was the same general idea. Um, so I made it fit more to John's voice, um, because originally there probably wasn't going to be vocals there. And with the chorus, we just wanted this like really spacey, open, um, I was listening to a lot of Mastodon at the time, so Crack the Sky album has a lot of chord structures like that. Um, which I don't think anybody would ever expect Mastodon to influence Judicator. Yeah, hey, you know, yeah, it's funny like that. though, kind of, you know, the yeah, influences that come out when you talk to people. Yeah, and uh, so that was kind of the the basis for that that chorus. Um, and interestingly, with the vocals, um, John actually does the harsh vocals on the pre-choruses, those like crazy blood curdling mm -hmm. screams. And traditionally, we've had either myself or uh, another person do the harsh vocals. And he was listening to a lot of Protest the Hero at the time, and he's like, this really reminds me of Protest the Hero right now, so I'm just going to put, like, crazy Protest the Hero screams in here. Um, we were just throwing in yeah, there. Yeah, it sounded like could. It was, you know, just really creative. And it, it's actually one of my favorite songs. We played it live one time at our very first show, and nobody else in the band likes playing it, but <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I really enjoy this one personally, and I, I wouldn't mind playing it live again, but I don't think anybody else will support me on that decision. <laughs> I'm picturing that scene in South Park when the guy's like, not the goddamn Hardly Boys. That's like your your whole band is like, uh, not the goddamn cannibalistic right. mind again. Pretty much. Pretty much. All right. So so the next track is track number four, and it's called Coping Mechanism. Mm -hmm. As I play it up here, tell us kind of what the thought process was with this and, and what you want the listeners to know about it. So this song is another old one. I wrote. I actually wrote this song... Uh, and didn't change anything about it when I was a sophomore in high school. It was one of the first songs I ever wrote. And um, it's a very like standard Euro power song, um, but I really love all the melodies in it. But I could never figure out what to do with it because I had never been in the right band for it. And when we started writing this album, I, I decided to pull this forward and, and update it with keyboards and everything because I knew John could do a lot with this one, with its kind of more open, kind of melancholy chord progression um in this song for him i know it's kind of it's there's a lot of angst in this song 
Um, there's a lot of like questioning, like he screams at the end, like I'm the only one who questions why we're here. And uh, he talks about like, you know, I'm not going through a phase, like this is genuinely like my anguish that I'm going through. Um, and the whole imagery of wandering the hospital, like basically he's talking about his experience, like spending time in the hospital, just like questioning his life and his existence and like what it means to live and to die. Um, and I really love how he brought that together with the kind of haunting melodies and the chorus melody he does in particular. I don't think we have anything else that sounds like that, the way he has the vocals layered there. It's just one of my favorite moments in any of our music, um, just because the music itself is probably pretty standard, but what he did with it vocally made it something more unique. Um, in any other hands, I think this song would have been like your typical just like generic hit single Euro power song. <laughs> um, but he took it and he made it his own. Like he didn't repeat any, any chorus phrases. Um, he made each section unique uh, and he really did something non-traditional with, uh, with the vocal melodies um, instead of just rewriting hunting high and low or right. something. This, uh, I think it's my favorite song on the album. I know the you know, longer ones probably put a lot of effort into, you know, some of the big ones, but this is my favorite one. And, uh, God, just when he yeah, wandered the hospital and then it says Starways Hospital and something else, and God, it's just it keeps changing and you can tell his mind is wandering and he's just trying to he's just pondering things. It, but it's so it is haunting. It's so pretty and like soaring at the same time. It's a it's a really complex, captivating song. I appreciate that. I, I think I think this one stands out in our catalog for sure. And uh, I always love when people really respond to this song just because it's been with me for a long yeah. time. So it's it's. Uh, validating for oh. my 15 year old self. Nice, man. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, a good one. Big time. The, the next track is called My Fantasy Destroyed. Mm. And tell us about how that one kind of came to fruition and, and your thoughts on it. This one, I would say, is probably our most um, musically challenging song that we have in our entire catalog. Uh, because. In it, like I'm using a lot of stuff that I learned from playing um, a lot of cynic and jazz-influenced bands like Atheist and uh, Mid-Era Pestilence and stuff like that. And I actually, um, like full transparency, I stole the chord progression from the song Evolutionary Sleeper by Cynic. Uh. <laughs> um, like that intro chord progression that he does and that he plays on the, the chorus, I took that and just like rearranged uh, it and get it to make that finger picking opening. Yeah. Um, and from there, I just I wanted a song that was mostly clean guitars, but wasn't a ballad, um, and still had like like energy to it because um, it's mostly clean sections. But I wanted it to feel upbeat, not be like a, a typical ballad. And uh, we did some really challenging things in the middle. Like there's some pretty wonky time signatures in there in the middle. Um, the guitar solo is like total Opeth worship, and um, but then the choruses are just this like crazy little thrash riff. Um, so it was kind of fun to juxtapose like these kind of groovy, proggy verses with then just balls to the wall power metal in between, where he's like screaming his <laughs> screaming his tail end nice. off at, in his high range. And um, I think this song I'm really proud of, um, especially in our category, just because I can't think of any of my power metal influences where I hear stuff like this and it's more of like all my uh, proggy death metal influences that come through here um, and I thought it was really fun to put this into a power metal context and then 
without John, I don't think I could have made it work because he somehow always figures out how to make my ideas work and still sound like us. You guys really do have a cool relationship there in the sense that I am amazed that you can send him this music and he just puts it together with the lyrical content and, and adds his flavor to it. That's, a, that's amazing to me. It's been a really fortunate partnership. I mean, that, that's kind of what's influenced us to keep going. It's just like, wow, that was really easy and effortless. Because um, my whole thing with him has been like, I'll do the music and you do the vocals. I won't step on your toes. I want you to make it your vision. And he said the same thing um, musically to me. And just the fact that I don't have to go back and forth uh, with him. Like, I don't even ask to hear the vocals anymore before we record just because I know that he's going to make it what it is. Like I heard a song for our new album today that he tracked vocals to. It's the final vocals, but I'd never heard it before, but I didn't need to hear it first because I knew he was going to do a great job with it. And I heard it and I was like, dude, that was awesome. Perfect. Keep going. Yeah, that level of trust is that's, legit. That's super I got cool. uh, bad news though, guys. All well, right. Just got an email from Cynic. We have to be in court next Wednesday. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hey, uh, the next the next song is the longest song on the album. It's called "Lucid Nightmare," ten minutes and forty five seconds. Tell us kind of how this one unfolded and how it grew to be what, even by power metal standards, a relatively long song. So this is my no doubt favorite song we've done. Um, from a lyrical standpoint, I really enjoy what John did here, um, and I this is kind of the centerpiece of the album and lyrically he's he's walked me through it a few times um it's like a, a philosophical nightmare <laughs> that he had basically like he's just in the hospital you can imagine him just like sitting against a wall somewhere and he basically like drifts off and is just a journey through his mind that's why it's called lucid nightmare because he's having a nightmare but he's completely aware in control of himself um and he's kind of being guided by this I don't know what you would call it, like dark spirit through the, all the things that he's dealing with in his mind. And um, he chose this song because of the really chaotic nature of the structure. Like it starts really dark and gloomy. It starts to pick up and then it gets like this big wide chorus. Um, and then it has the, you know, the keyboard interlude where it's really dark and gloomy and atmospheric, but then it goes just like blisteringly fast right after that. There's some weird time signature stuff um, going on in the middle there, a somber acoustic section. Um, we kind of threw everything in the kitchen sink into this song, um, and it's actually one I had been working on for a long time. The first iteration of this song I wrote in 2010, and it sounds nothing like it did then but I carried forward and had been poking at this song for a long time. And when we were working on this album, I knew that I had to grab this song and, and finish it. So I changed a lot and I kept a lot of the same parts as well. But um, based on where the other pieces of the music had been going, I finally was able to just glue everything together. Um, and if I could pick one song in our, our catalog to show somebody like this is who I am as a musician, this would be the song because I think it hits all the elements of what I like to do. There's power metal in it, there's thrashy stuff in it, there's spacey proggy stuff in it, there's keyboard sections, there's acoustic things going on. Um, it has some of my most challenging finger plucking stuff I've done and uh, even the keyboard sections um, that Tyler did on the, the keyboard solo where there's two going on at once it's just everything that i've 
kind of come to grow in love as a musician and um then the vocal performance on top of it i think is just one of his absolute best so this is always the song where i'm like if if you want to see me as a musician this is it this is what you should uh this is what you should listen to this is probably my proudest moment nice man that's a cool statement to say for sure and and just because i'm somewhat still incredulous about the whole thing you mean you record basically a 10 minute and 45 second long song with all this crazy awesomeness in it and you send it to john Mm -hmm. and he and he fills it with lyrics and that's you just basically say here's what you're eating for dinner tonight and he eats it (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) that's crazy man I, i mean i think that's such a cool you're both at complete liberty in some senses but in other ways you way more than him <laughs> you yeah. know you kind of put the, the field around and he has to play in that field but like it seems like it's working so well it's amazing mm-hmm. yeah i give him uh i give him the music of the whole album and he gets to run wild with it so yeah he's limited by what i give him um but then also he gets to do whatever he wants within that like i don't tell him you know the chorus has to go here or the guitar solo has to go here um, sometimes I'll specify like, Hey, I'd like to put a guitar solo here, but a few times he's done vocals over it. So I just find another riff to put it over. Um, the only thing I, and, and I don't like about that method is there's one thing I really like in power metal that I haven't really been able to do in our band. And that's where you'll hear a lot of times in power metal where the guitar harmonies will start playing the vocal melody. And we don't really have any of that because the vocal melodies come after the guitar harmonies are recorded. So, and, and that's the only thing that I would probably change if i was gonna go back. well it depends on what you like i mean some bands uh they do it a lot like camelot's one of my favorite bands they do it like so much it's like once you mm-hmm. once you hear it you can't unhear it and it's almost like it's so right. present you're like oh i wonder if they ever did i guess they do it on purpose all the time but just uh it's kind of neat that you guys don't you know didn't do that mm. yeah we've only done it one time and it was on accident because he just made the <laughs> the vocal melody sound like the guitar <laughs> And for our listeners at home, this is playing underneath right now is The Rain in the Meadow, which is a little bit of a, a bridge the gap type song that's kind of slowing the pace down and, and getting you ready for the back half of the album. Mm-hmm. So when you were preparing this, were you concerned at all with the length of the album as you sent him the music and the instrumentation? Um, I was to a degree because it's our longest album. It's like 67 minutes long, something like that, which is as long as Injustice for All, which I know uh, is an album people think is very long. Um, The reason I wasn't held back by it is just because um, I think it's still very, despite being a concept album, despite having like interludes and uh, some progier stuff in it, it's still a very song-driven album, um, and there's a lot of dynamics and I think that there's enough dynamics to keep you in for the whole time. Um, whereas, like, The Last Emperor, if The Last Emperor was 67 minutes long, that would be a very exhausting listen um, to listen to, like, 67 minutes of just, like, straight power metal. Um, I think if you're going to do a longer album, you've got to be really dynamic about it. Um, I won't say I probably couldn't have trimmed some fat off of this one, potentially, but I think it earned its runtime, whereas... Uh, the last emperor i made a conscious decision to make it shorter because i knew if i put out an hour long um speed metal album like that's just not enough variation your ears get exhausted i would get bored listening to that even though it's very intense music you know if you just hear nothing but blast beats for an hour (laughs) right uh in a death metal record you get bored of it by the end it's got to have dynamics yeah 
The, the next song is called Nemesis forward slash Fratricide. Mm. Tell us the naming. Do you name these tracks or does John do the naming? John does the naming. And um, he also decides the order that the tracks go in usually. Um, sometimes I'll be like, this should be the opening song. But generally speaking, he'll move things around based on how he feels the story can flow. So he has mm. control over song titles, um, track placement, art direction, all that kind of stuff. And um, with this one, uh, it's a very interesting song from a lyrical standpoint because this is about his brother's father, um, who is represented by the harsh vocalist in this. And uh, his brother's father was a very pious man, um, but not a very moral man, and um, was the cause of a lot of tension in their family. Basically, he um, had a problem with his brother's wife. He had a problem with him. Um, he wouldn't let his brother's wife be around for what was going on. And so he was fighting with his mother, fighting with him. And this song is a lot about the infighting going on between these people, as well as the title track where it all kind of comes to a head. So this is the introduction of him and, and who he is. Um, you can, in the lyrics, he says, Michael Andrus has just arrived. That's... Um, that's the, the man. And uh, this is all about kind of his perspective on the situation. Like he says, I'm the father of the man who's lying here. Um, and he says, this is my power, the authority of God. Basically saying, like, I'm right about this situation because I have the authority of God and you don't. Um, which further, you know, tested John and his relationship to God there because he sees this figure who's very much not a nice person. Um, and if that's god then why does he want anything to do with it um and then the tension that it caused in his family like t terrible on his mother um terrible on his um sister-in-law and uh this song is super angry super uh heavier for for our style of music um and i think he just got all that visceral anger out in this song um and it kind of sets the stage for what happens in the in the title track when his brother passes away and, and the father leaves the scene. Um, so I, I know that he was he was putting his anger out in this one for sure. Yeah, and you know it's interesting that you guys both in the in the first half of the album have been really laudatory and and, and kind of thinking back to what it was like and how much you love these parts. But this for me is where the album sealed the deal mm. when I got to this track and then particularly autophagia and then life support life support is my favorite on the album those three in a row and then the way it culminates without the expense of humanity when I heard those that that grouping it was to me like holy cow this is really something something special and then when I completed the album I started it over because I wanted to go through that whole experience again that's when it really tied things together for me so that's awesome. um, let, let, let's go to the next track called autophagia and hear your thoughts on that one a six minute and 17 second long song and uh tell us kind of where this came out of yeah this song i uh i really appreciate um just for a personal connection uh the lyrics on this song are all about contemplating suicide essentially and um for a personal connection for me i i see a lot of um discussions on mental health in this song, um, and that's something I've been very interested in in my life, um, something I've struggled with in my life. So when John wrote this song, um, the first part of it is like essentially him doing some wish fulfillment on what he wished his brother would say to him. 
um, to kind of make the situation easier. And then the rest of it is like a contemplation on suicide. He talks about like shooting himself and um, cutting himself and uh, things that he was thinking about doing um, and the kind of the despondency of, you know, feeling that alone and that grieved and that depressed. Um, but for me, in just how I relate to songs, one thing that I've always really liked about working with John is I can get my own kind of message out of it and like some of his songs really resonate with me and with this one I kind of just like thanked him for writing this song because I was like dude this is like a really earnest honest just visceral contemplation of like what it means to not want to live anymore um, and I don't think I've ever heard that in a power metal song before <laughs> honestly um, like yeah plenty of porcupine tree songs that's like Stephen Wilson's breakfast routine but, <laughs> yeah. um, right or, or you know really really sad country music there's right. a lot of that there but not here absolutely like I don't think I've ever heard that in a power metal context um, so like it's it's interesting to me like we have a song about suicide um, but I appreciate him being able to talk about um, that kind of contemplation suicidal ideation so earnestly because people aren't usually willing to talk about that and he just like threw it all out there and i was like dude as someone that has struggled with some of the things you're stepping in here like i appreciate that like you gave this to me to to be able to um be a part of like that you you know used my music to express this idea and of course like i'm sorry that you were <laughs> in that situation feeling this way but like thank you for sharing that experience like this one resonated with me lyrically um in a big way and uh, I, a lot of people have told me, like, this song in particular, like, really um, kind of gut-checked them as far as, you know, your personal stake in a tragedy. And, uh, yeah, I just really appreciate how he just kind of opened the vein on this one. And then it leads into what is, again, I consider my absolute favorite on the album, which is Life Support. And it has, I think, the first appearance of a female vocalist. Maybe I've overlooked that, but I... I recall it's the first appearance of a female vocalist. Where did you find her, and and what was the contemplation? Because I know I think that was a necessary element to have that character. I guess his mother, um, portrayed by a female vocalist. Yeah, I really appreciate when when uh, people tell me this is their favorite song because, like, full honesty, when we did the album, I thought this was the song that people were gonna trash. <laughs> There's always one song I feel like they're gonna go like, "That's complete filler. That song sucks." <laughs> and I, for some reason. I thought it was going to be this song, and fortunately, nobody said that um, that I'm aware of. And a lot of people were like, "Wow, that's like the climax of the album." And I was like, "Oh, thank you," because I really like this song. But I was worried that like people would be like, "Oh, no, it's just filler." Um, so I was really happy to see that people and, and yourself enjoy this one. Um, and I'm just learned my lesson that I'm terrible at picking the songs that I think people will like and enjoy because it's always the exact opposite. I'm like, oh man, that song's going to be total filler. And then that's like the favorite. Um, or I'll be like, maybe yeah, you're, maybe that? you're just sub, maybe you're just subconsciously nervous that one that you really have your hopes set on is the one that's going to be trash and you're going to be let down because I don't see how you could think that one is going to be a dog. It's got two fucking great guitar solos in it. The vocals are excellent. The drums are really good. And the subject matter is so weighty. I mean, I, I, I love that song. I very frequently, uh, Tony, I just put it on repeat and listened to it like three or four times in a row. I just can't get enough of that song. That's awesome. I really appreciate you saying that. That's very validating. Um, speaking of Mercedes and, and her vocal performance, um, Mercedes is an old friend. She's one of the 
greatest people I've ever met. She's an amazing singer. Um, she's done a lot of guest work among our friend group. Um, we're actually bringing her back for the next album. She's she did yes. a song with us, and um, I'm really excited to have her back because she's just she's just a wonderful person, and she's such an amazing talent. And more people need to hear her. And uh, she was in the band, uh, or did guest work for the band Lascale Shroud, um, who is like crazy sci-fi death metal. She's done a bunch of vocals for them. Um, she's done guest vocals on my friends in Soul Mass. They play Death Doom, focused around the, the game's Dark Souls. She does guest vocals for them. And just every time she shows up, she just does an incredible job. And uh, we had used another female vocalist on Sleepy Plus Owl. Um, who wasn't, I, I don't even know who she was. I never met her or talked to her. Um, but when it came time to need a female vocalist for this album, I had worked with Mercedes a couple times, and I was like, John, we got to get Mercedes on this album. It's absolutely, like, this part is made for her. It needs to be there. And he's like, dude, I was thinking the exact same thing. I want to get Mercedes involved. And I'm like, cool, we're on the same page then. Um, so fortunately, she was able to, to do the part. And for me, it was just... A really cool experience to have her and then our friend Paul Black from the band Turn to Stone. Um, he does the harsh vocals and he's like similarly amazing dude, one of my best friends, super cool guy, amazing talent. Um, so to have the three of them all coming together um, was really just a fun little trifecta of vocalists and then it's an emotional centerpiece of the album as well and it kind of gets into that rock opera territory. Um, so again, like that's why I was very invested in this song, but then also worried about it. Um, but I think it really came together, and just to be able to work with them was uh, was really a treat. And um, they're they're kind of our go-tos for their respective roles. Paul and Mercedes are, so they'll definitely be included in future material. Okay. Yeah. And now, t t sorry, Phil, but uh, Tony, those those parts, the vocal parts for your guest musicians, that has to be studio recording, right? Uh, no, those um, those were done in their in their homes. I think Paul did his vocals with John. Actually, they both live in Salt Lake City. That's amazing. What oh, I was going to say you can't miss with rock opera. So I don't, yeah, I was agree with Alex. I don't see why you think it would be filler. <laughs> I just get I get like weirdly nervous about certain yeah. songs. And then uh, we're actually working on re-recording our second album after we finish um, our fifth album, and we're going to have Mercedes do all the female vocal Sweet. parts. Uh, on that that is cool, cool. well the ne the next song is the title track at the expense of humanity and you already alluded to you know the climax or negative emotional climax but the passing of his of john's brother but anyhow this this track is about the ultimate you know finality to it and kind of how do you think that he ordered it in this way to put this uh, did you expect that he would pick this as the song that would express that element uh no it was actually kind of surprising because i i kind of threw this song in at the last minute um, and it was actually a song I was working on with the keyboardist who's on the album, Tyler. Um, we were working on a side project, and um, this was the only song that we really finished together. Um, so he wrote like the main riff and all the keyboards, and then I put the rest of the song around it. And uh, we were basically like, uh, "Wow, we're really busy with Judicator right now. Maybe we should just, you know, consolidate our uh, <laughs> our efforts and and move this over." Um, so actually this song wasn't originally intended to be on the album and we threw it in and uh, John just thought it was a, a great like title track sounding sounding song and he wanted the title track to kind of be that climatic moment. 
anything else you kind of special or unique about this song that you want our listeners to know? Uh, the thing I like about this song the most is the uh, the middle part where um, the song is kind of like this groovy shuffle rhythm uh, song, and then in the middle it just goes into this crazy thrash beat. Um, it wasn't originally written that way, um, but the reason we changed it is because when me and Jordan were practicing it to record, um, it sounded a lot like something we would have played when we were playing uh, Melodeath in high school. Uh, we, we played in like a Melodeath band for like three months. And uh, <laughs> that, that kind of section is very like at the gate sounding like Slaughter of the Soul-ish. And uh, we were like, uh, we should use the at the gates beat, like the beat from Blinded by Fear. Um, and I was like, yeah, that, we haven't really done a beat like that in a song. Um, and it would make the song like really pick up and just kind of hit you for a second. And so we just like listened to that song. And we're like, okay, just copy what he's doing there and put it over this guitar riff. And uh, it t- turned out pretty cool. So um, that, that kind of was, it's always a fun moment to play live. We always play this song in our sets. Um, and I, I really like that part because it's just like a rock out moment um, around a very otherwise emotional song. Awesome. Well, the, the next, the second to last song, or the penultimate song, is How Long Can You Live Forever? Tell us about the title, because that's an interesting title for a song. Mm-hmm. This is uh, probably my favorite from a lyrical standpoint, just from a, a, just like a mechanics of writing lyrics, um, because the album gets like way more esoteric right here. And uh, John basically told me, he's like, the, the album title... Um, what it is is it's a question of like if you could live forever would you really want to because if you lived forever um you know everyone that you loved would die or even if you all lived forever would life still have meaning um you know basically the the question of like is death what gives is that what gives life meaning like is there something to be valued out of the impermanence of life um so that's why it's like super philosophical by comparison and uh, the, the line that just gets me the most is, and I think like if you've ever dealt with grief, um, and everyone has, this song I think in particular can really be a gut-wrenching moment because it's, it's more of a general contemplation. Um, and then he just says, um, he says like, I'm dreaming of you now, wondering if you're still here. And like that moment just hits me every time because I think that's something that everybody goes through when they lose someone that's important to them like you just wonder like where where are they what happened to them you know they were such a part of my life and now they're gone Um, I think that's something anyone can relate to um, unfortunately but then there's also the question of like you know because we die like does that give life meaning and um, he was really trying to tackle that that subject and and try to give uh, a silver lining, a positive spin on an otherwise very traumatic experience. Um, so while I wouldn't quite call the end hopeful, um, it's it's showing that like you know he's gonna he's gonna go on, he's gonna survive. Um, life goes on, and like you have to value what you have because it's all you have essentially. And the ending lines of the album I think hit like a ton of bricks where he says. Um, you know, life's a burden, love is li- love is lost, nothing that's worthwhile comes without some pain. Yeah, I, I really love what he did here. I mean, when I first heard the vocal performance and read the lyrics with it, I was just like, dude, you you killed it on this one. Like, I, I think this is going to be, you know, a big impact for people to hear it. And uh, I know for me personally, like, in dealing with my own griefs, like, this song is very meaningful to me. So, 
The last track is a very challenging word, and I want to let you pronounce it so I don't butcher it. <laughs> I believe it's pronounced in antiodromia. I may be wrong, but that's how I say it in my head. <laughs> I'm glad I allowed you because I wasn't even going to take a stab at it. Tell me your thoughts on this one to close it out, and then I'll get your kind of summary opinion on the whole thing as we put a bow on it. This one, um, again, was supposed to be an acoustic guitar track, but um, given how the heavy use of keyboards throughout the album, we wanted it to close on an atmospheric note. Um, it's basically like your credit music is how I picture it. Like if this were a movie, this is where the credits would be playing. Um, and I know some, pe some people make comments on reviews. They're like, oh, yeah, it seems unnecessary. I just shut the album off. Um, which is fine. I do that with plenty of, plenty of albums. I totally understand that. But for me, um, it was supposed to be the acoustic exit to How Long Can You Live Forever. So we chopped it off and made it a uh, keyboard track so that he, he could put that closing note on the album with the concept of uh, an antiodromia, which let me get the exact definition of that, which means the tendency of things to change into their opposites. Um, so... There's a big story about change within this this album, and then just the transition from life to death as well. It's that it's that closing um, sentiment. So I like it as a uh, credit piece, um, even if it doesn't feel necessarily like musically needed. Um, I think it was needed from a, a lyrical standpoint, even though it's instrumental. It it helps the lyrical concept. I feel so. Tony, we're grateful to you for, for being here with us and grateful for the energies you put into this album because it means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to you know thousands of other people around the world. But take us back to the time when John sends this to you and it's, it's done and you're kind of just taking it in for the first time. What are you thinking? What is Tony at that time thinking about this? Are you like, this is going to be somewhat... Uh, heavy material for our listeners to take on? Or were you super excited about it? A little mix of both? Where were you in a headspace then? I think from a headspace, I was, my biggest thought was just nobody is going to see this coming. I said, this is going to surprise people because one, we hadn't had an album produced to this level. Um, and I think what people were probably expecting was like our second album, but just produced better. Um, which I think would have been maybe like if we had put The Last Emperor out first, that would have probably been what people were expecting because um, we kind of changed everything. Like the production was a whole nother level. The musicianship was a whole nother level. The styles used within it were completely different. And then the lyrical content, of course, most of all was a complete departure. Um, but we still felt it was wholly us, but the us that we were trying to really be. And that was just my one thought I kept having. I was like, the the element most around this album is going to be surprise. People are going to be surprised, one, at how it sounds, and then two, that this is what we chose to do. I think they're going to, the people that know us, which at the time was a lot less, of course, um, are going to be shocked. And then my thought was just hopefully good shocked. <laughs> um, which, as it turns out, it, it was a good shock, but um, I don't think anybody was predicting that that was the direction um, that we were going to go. And that, that to me, it was like our lightning in a bottle moment um, where we kind of, that's the spark that made the band what it is. It was, to me, I, I was felt like I was living one of those moments that, like, you'll never recreate. I knew, like, this is a, this is a turning point for us. And, like, it was the first time I'd ever really produced an album 
of this level. Like I'd taken part in some stuff um, before and I'd recorded albums like our first two albums plenty of times. It was the first time I ever did something that I would consider like a full professional production. And so to me, it was just like uh, checking off a, a lifetime achievement bucket of like, wow, I finally, especially for me and Jordan, who've been playing together since we were 15, like, wow, we finally did what we were trying to do. And now we know we can keep doing it, essentially. Super cool. And have you guys kept intact same bandmates since that recording? We uh, So the main members of the band um, at that time were me, John, and Jordan. Um, we had a bass player, but he didn't record on the album. Um, I did the bass on the album. Tyler Sherrill did the keyboards, but um, unfortunately we had to split from him. Um, we're still good friends. And um, we did bring on um, another bassist um, for a while to do live stuff, but he didn't end up recording with the band. And then we got in contact with Michael Sanchez, who's a friend of mine, who's a fan of the band for a while, um, who's an amazing musician. And I was like, dude, you're the fourth leg of the table. I know it, and I want you to be part of it. And he was like, of course, whatever you need, man. <laughs> and uh, he's just been a great addition to the band. So um, we'll bring in guests, and we'll bring in like live session players for stuff, but it's the four of us um, that did The Last Emperor that are doing our next album. Um, and that's really how we want to keep the band. Like, we'll bring in, like, a live guitar player, have somebody do some guest solos or guest vocalists. But really, each one of us represents a piece of the the work in the band. And so we feel really good with the with the four of us. Or, like, we, we like to call it the four legs of the table. Good stuff. And so now, now that you have that and you've had this experience of the pride that comes through with completing this album at the time, now you look back on it as we sit here today, what do you think about At the Expense of Humanity today looking back on it? I think um, to me it's it's still our best album. Um, even, and I know it's like typical for people when they are putting out another album or working on one, they're like, no, our next one's going to be our best. I feel like our next one's going to be really good, don't get me wrong. Um, but just what I'm hearing of it so far, I, I still feel really strongly that At the Expense is, a, is our best. I think it's just singular in what it meant to all of us so i feel like there's some part of me will always be attached to that time period of my life because it was a very transitionary time period um in other aspects other than just music and so there's there's just something special about it that, like i can always go back and look on and be like that's when things started to change um that's when things were different like there's one phase of my life that phase was over this is a different phase um, so I have a lot emotionally invested in it as well. And, um, you know, and the same with the other band members, I think, especially John, of course. So, yeah, I think our next album will be great. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Not trying to undersell it. Um, but this this album will always be special, something different that sets out from everything else that we do. Well, it's it stood out to me, and I know it stood out to Phil, too. And, and I'm really grateful to you for being here with us today. How can fans of our show help you guys where do you want them to go where do you want them to follow you where do you want them to get updates about the new album and and the signing to the label and all that exciting stuff that's on the horizon absolutely um so judicatormetal.bandcamp.com uh is the place to get all of our merchandise so we've got uh vinyls cds t-shirts there uh buying from there is one it supports bandcamp which i'm a big fan of because i think they're just the lifeblood of underground music right now and then two, that's the best way to support us. We'll get the biggest cut of it um, because Bandcamp is very generous in how they support their artists. 
And then for news updates, we just use the Facebook page. You can find Judicator on Facebook. We'll post all kinds of random stuff on there, information about shows, information about the album. We'll post clips of us recording and all that good stuff. And then all the announcements will come through there as well. Excellent. You are the man. I appreciate it, guys. I really appreciate all the kind words and you guys taking the time for me today. Awesome. All right. Well, everybody out there listening, go buy these albums from the Bandcamp page. Go support Judicator. These guys are really a great example of the synergy in the universe coming together when you think about the fact that they met at the at the Blind Guardian show and just hit, hit Tony's benevolence and, and helping out somebody who's outside as a fellow fan of a band, bringing that energy and love together, and then now look at where we are, you know, 10 years later. So pretty incredible stuff, pretty incredible story. Thank you so much for being with us today, and go out and support these guys. Until next time, that has been another great bonus episode of the Great Heavy Music Podcast. See ya.